0: So there's going to come a day where your children ask you, mommy, daddy, why are we here? What what is the meaning to this? Are we here just to suffer? Are we here just to go through trials and tribulation? Like, why are we here? And when that moment comes, I want you to play this sermon for them, okay? Because that question is a question that not only will your children ask, but many of you, even as Christians who have been going to church for years and years, has still been asking that question. So first of all, I want you to go back and listen to the previous two sermons that are connected to this sermon because this message is connected to those. And if it's anything like the previous two, man, people are hungry for the truth. So as we come to a a conclusion and come to a close on this, I'm gonna try to go from Genesis all to Revelation in the next 25 minutes. Are you all gonna stay with me? Okay, you ready for this? Okay, let's start with this for the note takers. I was asking God, give me a simple way to communicate the totality of your sovereignty and what you wanna do in the earth. And I see him in scripture unfolding five phases. And I wanna show you at some point in the sermon what phase you were born into. But I must show you all five. And I'm gonna start with that and we'll plug them in. So for those of you who are taking notes, number one, the first phase is God who is an eternal being who is not created by anyone, even secular scientists will tell you that our universe is expanding. Because why? We serve an eternal God, it's expanding into something. And so outside of time and space, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, God Almighty creates everything that we know now. But he started with a plan, so number one, plan. But then number two, if you understand the character and the nature of God, He will give you a plan. He will have a plan, but he'll give you a promise. Can I get an amen on that? So he has a plan. He doesn't give you the plan because if you got the plan, you wouldn't need the person, him. In school, you learn how to make plans. In Christianity, you learn how to receive the promise. And you serve the one who has the plan who will actually take you on the journey to fulfill the promise, so you don't have a plan and you might not ever get a plan. You have the person holding your hand, taking you on the journey to the fulfillment of his plan. Oh, are we going too deep already? Did I drown you yet? So number one is a plan. Then he gives you the promise and he always gives you the promise first. And then what comes after the promise? Oh, somebody knows the character of God. Well, Joseph got a dream and the dream represented the promise. And then after that, he immediately got installed as second in command over Egypt and just lived out his days having the best time of his life, right? Oh, <laughs> David was given the promise by the prophet that he was gonna be the king. And then immediately after that, he got promoted to king and just lived out his best days and, ha- and right? <laughs> oh, y'all must have read your Bible <laughs> because the next step is actually preparation and God's wisdom He gives gives us the promise first, then he prepares us so that we can sustain that which he has promised us. Oh, this is, do I have your permission to go real deep today? After the preparation, it usually gets better, right? (laughs) The next and the fourth phase is peril. There's going to be great peril P-E-R-I-L, there's gonna be a fight. There's gonna be warfare. He promises you Canaan. He takes you through the wilderness. But oh, not only are there big grapes and provision and a land flowing with milk and honey. uh, I don't know if I mentioned the little asterisk down at the bottom of the promise is that there are giants occupying the land and you gotta kill those giants before you can inhabit it. And some of you have come from the your best life now theology have been told that there are promises without giants. And that's why you don't have a warfare theology. But I'm here to give you back dominion, which was with the original thing that God gave Adam and Eve in the garden. And I'm here to give you back authority, which is a thing Jesus gives back, because he says, I become the fulfillment of my promise so that under your heel, you will actually curb stomp that serpent called Satan, and you will tell him, get out of my garden. Get out of my garden, because that was the phrase that Eve didn't know how to say. But warfare is when you take your authority and you say, you may have gotten my great, 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 great grandmother, Eve, but you ain't getting me. Get out of my garden. Are you all with me still? Plan to promise, promise to preparation, preparation into peril, and then peril will lead you right into the pinnacle, the apex, the final stage. Oh, this is so good. Okay, can we go, can we jump in? Genesis chapter 12, verses one through three is the initiation of God's promise. So he says the promise to Adam and Eve, but he initiates that promise with a covenant with Abraham. Now, let me go back because we're in the 12th chapter of Genesis, and I have to help you understand not just the characteristics and nature of God, but also the persona and and, and the characteristics and nature of Satan, because to unmask Satan is to reveal God, and to reveal God is to unmask Satan, and so we're 12 chapters into the Hebrew account of creation, and a couple hundred years into the story of humanity, and God has given a promise to Adam and Eve, but he's initiating that promise with Abraham. And he did that through a blood covenant. And Abraham thought he was gonna have to give up his son, but actually there was a ram in the thicket. And there was a form of grace that said, your son's not gonna die, mine is. His name will be Jesus. So the old covenant was an agreement that's unbreakable by God because he cannot lie or change his mind once he establishes it through covenant. And he initiates it through Abraham. And then it goes from Abraham on down through genetic lineage. That means people, birth and people, that birth people, that gets to Jesus, Yeshua HaMashiach. Are you with me? But the promise for Jesus was made to Eve. And when God said in the, um, the garden, I'm going to actually, through your bloodline, bring the Messiah and your heel, he didn't mean literally Eve, your heel will crush the serpent. head. It, he meant genetically in your bloodline will be a descendant that will actually crush the head of Satan and then, and then actually transfer that authority to subsequent generations. And the story of the Bible is both biological and supernatural. Are you all still with me? we're going to get to Nephilim here in a moment. So in Genesis chapter 12, verse one and three, it says, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So in order for God to initiate this plan, he had to call Abram to distance himself from his father and his biological family because sometimes you have to recognize that in order to step into what God has for you, you're gonna have to forsake biological family to step into relationship with spiritual family because the world will say blood is thicker than water, but actually spirit is thicker than blood oh come on there's some of you that are not going to understand the revelation of scripture until you stop trying to people please your mom and dad that brought you into this world but didn't bring your spirit into this dimension they may have oh come on they may have had sex to create your body but the one who breathed you is calling you to spiritual family and you might have to offend mom and dad to please your heavenly father and you're oh come on are you with me? And so this is a fundamental understanding and it's in your spiritual DNA to be like Abraham, which would cause you to offend some of your family to please God, to leave and go to a foreign land, a place you've never known. Some of you are like, I've never been to a church like V1 before. Well, neither have I. And I created it. But sometimes in order to enact the plan of God, you gotta be willing to go a different direction. And listen, there's some family who think that you're a fool because they don't understand the wisdom of God. And there's some family who think that you lost your mind. Well, why don't you just go ahead and tell them, I did. I lost my mind that was full of depression and fear and anxiety and worry. Oh, I lost my mind that was heavily medicated. Oh, I lost my mind that believed all of the lies of the enemy concerning the way that this world works. And now I have the mind of Christ. So I am out of my mind because I have his mind. And why don't you grow a backbone and have a spine about you and if you believe in heaven or hell, ruin every single holiday gathering telling your family about the name of Jesus until they become spiritual family so you don't just see them once a year, you see them for eternity. I'd rather make my family mad telling them the gospel of Jesus Christ than remaining silent while the enemy's telling them loud lies. The enemy's lying real loud and you're keeping the truth real quiet. Let's ruin Thanksgiving so we show them who we're really thankful for. Let's ruin Christmas where we show them who Emmanuel really is. Let's ruin Halloween when we say ain't no spirit but the Holy Spirit up in this house. It's time to grow a backbone. And Abram had to go on that journey. We're 12 chapters into Genesis. Now, let me show you something else. This is crazy. When, okay, there are, we're, we're interacting in two dimensions. One one dimension is the eternal, and one dimension is the temporal. Okay, you understand? Your spirit is eternal. Your body is temporal. So you you are legally occupying a physical body that gives you the ability to interact in this dimension. And when your body dies, you are being revoked of your legal right to interact with this dimension and you go to heaven or hell immediately. I don't know how else I can make it that plain. And we talked about that the week one. Look, it got real quiet. Everyone's like, "Mm, I just want tacos. So understand what I'm just saying. But here's the thing. There's the Holy Spirit and there's a familiar spirit. You've never met anybody with human psychic abilities. The people who claim to be psychics are illegally entering the spiritual, eternal dimension to receive information through a familiar spirit. There are no such thing as spirit guides. They are demons guiding them to hell. So all this stuff that masquerades and parades around as if it's something else is literally the most insidious, sinister, dark, evil spirit masquerading as the angel of light and his demonic minions do the same. So it's a familiar spirit, or if you're a Christian, watch this, God gives you the gifts of the spirit, which gives you permission through him to legally access the eternal realm. So if you have the gift of discerning of spirits, you have been given permission by the Holy Spirit to actually see into the eternal realm and to distinguish between between different types of spirits. If you have been given the gift of prophecy, you have been given permission by the Holy Spirit to access the eternal realm to know future knowledge or to discern what God is doing in this time. So you either are entertaining a familiar spirit or you are being empowered and receiving a gift from the Holy Spirit. Are you all with me? There is no middle ground. That's it, homie. That's it. Let's go deeper. I'm going to illustrate this with the story of Daniel. Daniel is in Babylon. He's kind of depressed. Men, you want to know why he was so depressed? Because they castrated him when they took him into exile. Do you know what castration is? Okay, bring up the video. (laughs) Somebody looked at the screen like, I love this church. You're sick. Babylon castrated Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel. The spirit of Babylon today is still castrating men. It's the same spirit. Then when, when we find out that Daniel is really morose and depressive, he goes on a fast. We call it the Daniel fast, and we eat vegetables for 21 days so we can lose a little extra weight. What I love about the story, if you actually read it in context, is an angel visits him and says, the Lord actually heard you the first day that you fasted and prayed. And and the reason why is he said the prince of Persia was fighting in the heavenlies over what's to be released to you in Babylon, and there was a warfare that was taking place. Now, the best way I could explain this is in the eternal realm where it's unveiled, the enemy knows and can discern the dominoes that are being lined up, the butterfly effect, the cause and effect that's happening, and he gets up ahead of it. He tries to thwart the enemy's plan. Wherever God has a plan and a purpose, the enemy, the fake comes first. Tell your neighbor the fake comes first. The fake comes first. Katy Perry was never supposed to be a pop star. Katy Perry, I had a conversation with her parents one day and we were talking and and literally, Katy Perry's dad told me, Mike, Katy Perry had a prophecy over her life that she was gonna be such a high-level worship leader that she was gonna break witchcraft off of nations. So the fake always comes first. Here's another way of saying the devil is in the blessing business too. Beware. What did the devil do with Jesus? Took him to the mountaintop and said, I'll bless you, I'll give you all this, but it was less than what God had for him. So the devil will give you more than what you have, but less than what God wants to give you. I'm trying to help somebody. The fake comes first. So Abraham is called now to go into a different direction. And as he's going into this different direction, he's walking that out. This is what's crazy. This is the 12th chapter. Let's go back to chapter six. Can I read it to you? Crazy. Chapter six, verse one through four. When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them. Okay, wait, wait. When man began to multiply and daughters were born unto them. Let's stop. Let's go back to the garden. What's happening in the garden? God gives a plan. He says, Adam and Eve, listen, Eve, you are going to multiply. And from your seed is going to come the Messiah, and he is gonna give you authority, and you are gonna crush the head of the serpent. Do you hear me? Now look, six chapters later, when man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them. So what does the enemy start doing? Oh no, the daughters are multiplying. How many daughters are gonna be born until the Messiah comes? How far away are we to marry? to birth Jesus. Are y'all with me? So the fake comes first, the counterfeiter. The sons of God, now think about this phrase, saw that the daughters of men were attractive and they took as their wives any that they chose. So now they're marrying Then the Lord said, "'My spirit shall not abide in man forever, "'for he is flesh, his days shall be 120 years.'" Verse four, "'The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, "'and also afterward, when the sons of God "'came to the men's of daughter of man, "'and they bore children to them, "'these were the mighty men who were of old, "'the men of renown.'" Go back to part one and part two of this series. So you have fallen angels. Remember, one-third of the angels decided to rebel against God and join Lucifer. Y'all remember that? We also established the fact that angels have interdimensional permissions. They have the ability to make themselves visible in this realm, and we know this because of so many biblical accounts. Now, some of you right now are like, Pastor Mike, are you trying to convince me? This is where it gets real crazy, but I love you more than your last pastor, because I'm going to teach you the whole Bible, not just the bumper sticker scriptures, So all of a sudden you're telling me that angels slept with women and then gave birth to children and these Nephilim are like a genetic half-breed? That's exactly what I'm telling you. Okay, it got real quiet. You're like, okay, time to find another church. Hold on. I'm going to help you understand how Angels have the ability to interact with the physical dimension. Let's go down this for the note takers. Number one, in Daniel chapter six, verse 22, it actually says that, you know, you know the story of the lion, Daniel in the lion's den and the way you were told the story in your coloring book experience in Sunday school, where they didn't even actually read you the scriptures, they just told you the story, they deleted this part out. In chapter six, verse 22, it says, Daniel in the lion's den, the angels closed their mouths. So angels physically held lion's mouths closed. Angels did that. Matthew chapter 28, verse two through seven, angels, an angel rolled the stone away for the tomb so they can bear weight and actually have supernatural strength to actually push large stones. Acts chapter five, verse 19 and 20, angels released the apostles from prison. Angels did a jailbreak. There's people watching in our prison ministry right now who are like, come on, Lord, do it again, prophesy. <laughs> and then in Acts chapter 12, verse six and 11, an angel rescues Peter from prison and is physically manipulating objects. So we know that angels have the permission in this physical realm to actually deal with matter and weight. Now, for those of you who are like, I'm still not convinced, you all know that I saved the silver bullet for last. Are you Ready? Genesis chapter 19. So think about this. Genesis six is where you have the Nephilim, these genetic half breeds that are the result of human women sleeping with angels, fallen angels. That's in, in chapter six of Genesis. In chapter 12, you have the plan of God being told to Abram. It's, he's enacting it through a covenant. But then in chapter 19, so this is all in close proximity, which means there's some ancient knowledge that we need to pay attention to. In Genesis 19, one through five, the men of Sodom and Gomorrah, and these men of Sodom and Gomorrah were committing these heinous sexual acts on each other and with other people. It actually says when the two angels were there, and you can read this on your own this week, that the men of Sodom and Gomorrah attempted to actually rape two angels. Now, what does this have to do with you? Pastor Mike, what does Nephilim have to do with me? Well, let me tell you two things. Number one, there are stages to God's sovereign plan, and I'm about to show you where you are in what stage in human history. But then number two, my good friend Alexander Pagani and I did a viral podcast about Nephilim, which you can go to my YouTube channel, and we go really deep on this topic for like over an hour, and I coined a phrase, and he, he's like, I'm gonna steal that from you, and I said, you can't just give me the royalties, decommissioned spirits. So if your spirit is God breathed into your body, then what is the spirit of a creation that comes from a fallen angel and a human? It's illegal, decommissioned. So what happens when those giants get killed? Where do their spirits go? And so there's something to this that we need to think a little bit deeper about. Could you be engaged, not in a physical battle, against physical giants, but in a spiritual battle against the spirits of Nephilim. Could you have the same spiritual DNA that Joshua had and Caleb had, that something on the inside of you begins to rise up and says, Canaan is destined for us. I'm going to take the land and I don't care how many giants we have to kill. Could deliverance be the spirit of Jesus through the Holy Spirit on the inside of you saying, I don't care what principality, what power, what ruler in high places I got to take down, but New York City will belong to Jesus. Come on, Chicago. Is there a giant killer on the inside of you that says greater he that is in me than he that is in the world. If God be for me, who can be against me? The Bible is not the story of what happened. It's the story of what always happens. There were giant killers back then. And homie, there's some giant killers rising up today. There was a Daniel contending in Babylon and there's a Daniel in government today. The very first scene of the movie that's coming out, literally I told Evan, we were talking about this and you'll see it when you're in theaters. It's me walking through the streets of New York City and then it glitches to show a man in a robe which is symbolically representative of of like a Daniel. And when I got invited to Gracie Mansion the other day, I mean, I literally had a video go viral prophesying from the streets of New York City and then at 11 o'clock at night, I get an invitation to go to the mayor's house of New York City. That's sus. Sus. But God has a way of putting the righteous remnant in the most peculiar places to say in the midst of all this fake, let me show you what's real. In the midst of all this counterfeit, let me show you what God's really doing. And there were Muslims and there were atheists and agnostics and Hindus and all these Baha'i, all all these faith leaders that were represented and all these, these staff members that were represented. And at one point the mayor said, let's all pray. And as everybody, I listened to the Muslim prayers. I listened to—I mean, it was like every prayer was going up. I started to speak in tongues, and I'm standing—I'm standing right there at at, at the mayor's house speaking in tongues. And I said, "I wonder if this is what it felt like to, to be one, to be a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego." That said, I will not bow to that idol. There is one God. There is a true living God. And you know, there's never going to be unity among world religions unless you're willing to demote Jesus Christ. The only way you can ever have a unity among world religions is if you're willing to demote Jesus Christ. But if Jesus said, I am the way, and there's only one way to the father, either Jesus is a liar or use a liar. And so I stood there saying, I have the the spirit of the living God on the inside of me, Jesus unlimited through the Holy Spirit. And this is my message to you today. If you're asking all the time, please, God, save my city. You're praying the wrong way. If you're asking Jesus, please save my family. You're praying the wrong way. You were discipled into a beggar, relationship with God. You were discipled to be, to, to come before God as a pauper, to come before God as a distant relative at best. But when you are a son or a daughter, you, you know how to go into the refrigerator without asking. Your kids don't come, you're like, what are you eating? What do you got? Anybody have kids know what I'm talking about? When you live in the house with your parents, there's things you don't ask for and there's a lot of christians that have never been taught adoption so they're they're relating to god like an orphan please can i have a little bit of bread please can you save my city no, dominion and warfare theology says, I dare not ask God that which he has commanded me to do. When you understand that the story of Abraham ripples to Jesus and Jesus ripples to you, then you start functioning in this authority and boldness that says, I'm not gonna ask for this city. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence, but the violent take it by force. Devil, I'm not asking you for New York City, and I'm not waiting for somebody to come out. of the clouds jesus came and he ascended and he said it's better that i go why because he gave me the holy ghost and fire and i'm here to take it i'm here to take my family back depression loose my child i cancel every curse of suicide get up and out of them That's why they're so offended by deliverance ministry because it reminds them of the dominion that was always supposed to be ours from the garden. The reason why people are so offended that our church casts out demons is because their demons are intimidated. We're coming for them next. I couldn't figure out why no pastors wanted to be my friends till I realized they all need deliverance. And the reason why I'm saying this, because I showed you all five phases. Let me show you where you are. We are in the phase called peril. But, but let, me, let me back up, because as you understand this, so... Could Jude chapter one, verse six, make more sense that it says, watch this, there are angels kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. Could it be the angels that slept with women to birth the Nephilim are actually imprisoned by God so they cannot continue to carry their will out anymore? And the book of Jude makes sense when you realize that Jude at one point even quotes Enoch. So there's much more going on. You think this is about governments. It's about the spirits that are puppeteering governments. Rome didn't disappear, it reconfigured. Babylon didn't disappear, it reconfigured. And some of you have been discipled more by Babylon than you had the kingdom of heaven. And that's why when I... That's okay. That's why when I tell you God's standard, it's offensive. It's offensive to your Babylonian brain. But when you understand heaven's ways, you understand what God, how he wants you to think, what he wants you to think about, it it suddenly begins to click in. Let me show you something. Jesus, he shows up. In Micah chapter six, verse eight, the prophet Micah had previously said this. God has told you, oh man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? What does the Lord... Mom, why are we here? Dad, why are we here? The prophet Micah is saying the Lord has told you what he requires of you, to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. So let me just explain. When you define justice with a Babylonian mind, When you define justice being discipled by the ways of this world, you'll say, hey, Pastor Mike, why are you speaking out against the alphabet community? Love is love. No, because by your definition of justice, love is a feeling. By my biblical definition, God is love. So love is not a feeling, love is a person. And he dictates what true love is. And see, and so the thing about it is, it's gonna be offensive to you. Why? Because one of the first commands that was given in the garden when they had dominion was be fruitful and multiply. And so now you have people that, in the context of their definition of a relationship, can't even have children, but they're trying to teach us how to raise their children. No! The Bible says that my children are arrows in my quiver. That when I meet my enemies at the gate, that my enemies should be forewarned. I'm not raising children. I am sharpening arrows to send them into the future to fulfill the will of the Lord. This is deep. Gonna let somebody who can't have a kid tell me how to raise mine? No, devil. Get out of my garden. It's about dominion. Be fruitful and multiply. That's God's form of justice, kindness, love kindness. But here's the thing, how could it be kind? I don't see the kindness of God. No, no, you see the effects of sin. You see, see the curse is not given by the devil. The curse is the consequence that's enacted by God because he's holy. And so everybody thinks that curses are from the devil. No, curses are the consequence of your sin. It's what you deserve for doing life outside of his design. And when, you, when God set it up, he said, here's how you do life. And when they stepped outside of that, the consequence was a curse. That's why we have a second Adam, and his name is Jesus. And he was tempted in every way, at every stage, from a child to a teenager to an adult and he never sinned. And that's why Galatians says that he hung on a tree and he died so that he could break the power of that curse. And so the good news to you is that every single one of us deserve the curse. But this is what I love about the ministry of Jesus. It's different than the ministry of David. David was a prophetic type and a shadow of Jesus. When David played his instrument, it soothed the, the, the demons that were vexing Saul. It soothed them, but they never went away. And there's too many Christians operating out of the wrong covenant, and they know how to soothe demons, not cast them out. Jesus showed up and Jesus said, I'm not casting it off of you. I'm breaking the curse and I'm declaring it out of you out of your bloodline, out of your family, out of the legacy of your name because I'm giving you a new legacy and you will be what you were destined to be. You come from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and there's something rippling through time and you now will fulfill the totality of what God had. And that's why when we dance, when we're worshiping, we're dancing like our forefathers should have danced if they would have got the freedom that we got. The reason why we sing the way we sing is we're singing like our great-grandmother would have said if she got as free as I because we didn't get this thing cast off of us we got this thing cast out of us what fellowship does light have with darkness none it's not 99% it's whom the sun sets free is free come on whom the sun sets free is free indeed Joshua and Caleb can set you free from giants until there's another enemy. They set you free, but you're not free indeed. Medical sciences can help you with symptoms. They can medicate you with a pill. There's a form of freedom. But Jesus shows up and says, I set you free and whom the Son sets free is free indeed. So what's at stake right now? What's at stake? Is you stepping into the fullness of who you're called to be. What's at stake right now is you understanding where you're at. We are in the time called peril and peril comes before pinnacle. Now, let me tell you this last part. So Jesus ascends and and before he ascends in front of an audience, now, by the way, he has a glorified body. You know, literally Peter saw him, Paul, I mean, Paul was not there in the picture you had, but Peter saw him and the other disciples who were becoming apostles. And all of a sudden, Thomas is doubting. Literally, Jesus has the ability to walk through walls. And then in front of an audience for 40 days, he's talking, matter of fact, my favorite story is Jesus upon his resurrection with his glorified body makes breakfast. What a gangster. Y'all wanna eat? <laughs> that is gangster level, am I right? Just to prove like, you know, the Bible says that we're more than a conqueror. To me, that's more than a conqueror. I I just defeated death, hell, and the grave. Now let's eat some good food. A bacon, egg, and cheese with ketchup, salt, and pepper. That's my New Yorker. I learned. Everybody in Indiana is like, what? But the reason why it's so incredible is he's walking around for 40 days in full view of hundreds and hundreds of people. And then from the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem, can I just make this Hamas thing and this Hezbollah thing make more sense to you? This is not... This is not a governmental thing. This is an ancient historic thing. These are two two powers meeting spiritually. Because when God made a covenant with Abram, God does not break his covenant, he fulfills it. So Jesus didn't come to, to break that covenant, he came to establish and fulfill it. And then where you play your part is you got grafted into the story. So you're a Gentile which means that you were not a part of this story, but you get to be a part because you were adopted. Now do you understand? And if you were to take a tree and you split that branch of the tree and you put another branch into it and you knit it up, you would come back and if if it's possible, both species would grow together in a symbiotic relationship and they would become inseparable. And that's what happened. You got grafted into the story of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob all the way to Jesus. You have a Jewish Messiah. Does this make sense? So what happens is when you go all the way back to the 12th chapter of Genesis, Abram made the right decision to go into this other land. But when it came down to how he was gonna fulfill the promise of God, we all have a choice. Do I do it out of fear or faith? Do I do it out of striving and self-will and my own ingenuity and my own strategy? Or do I do it walking by faith? And he makes a mistake and he tries to birth that baby through another woman and gives birth to Ishmael. And Ishmael becomes the seed of Islam. And right now, Ishmael and Jacob are still fighting. And this is an ancient thing that we are seeing. And so when you talk about Islam, when you talk about Christianity, when you talk about uh, Judaism, what you're talking about is the Abrahamic roots that are here. But don't you see it's always been about genes? Whether it's Nephilim, which are fallen angels trying to get in and mess up that genetic line. Or whether it's actually someone coming in and, and, and now Abraham now gives birth and they, he or him and, and this false wife gives birth to Ishmael it 's a genetic thing trying to get in the way of prophecy, but you cannot stop prophecy because god 's words will never come back void. if he said it, it will always return unto him. That is why the most futile thing you can do is fight Israel because israel 's army is always plus one it 's always plus God and when you fight Israel you are fighting God it's an impossible thing to win and I say that because as we see it being fulfilled right in front of our eyes there's a story that's happening now Jesus shows up the seed of Abraham and then Jesus makes disciples he grafts us into the gospel and he says it's better that I go because I'll send another one my Holy Spirit who will dwell inside of you how many of you have accepted Christ and have the Holy Spirit dwelling on the inside of you? We go from peril to the last step, pinnacle. But Jesus said, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. This is what he said. I'm coming back. No one knows the day, no one nor, nor they know the hour, but I'm coming back. But here's the thing. He's not gonna descend. This is what scripture says. He, he's specifically gonna descend in a place that says, he's not gonna descend in China. He's not gonna descend in South America. He's not gonna descend into Washington, D.C. no matter how much people wanna believe it. He's, this is what he says. He's gonna descend in Jerusalem. Think about what's happening. But let me help you understand even further. One of the prophecies is that when he comes back, he's gonna walk through the east gate on the Temple Mount. Now I should be in Israel right now with a group. And whenever we go to the Mount of Olives and we go to the East Gate, I always tell this because Islam, Muslims have actually sealed up the Eastern Gate, They they took stone and they actually sealed it completely up. Then because they know that an observant Jew would not ever walk through a cemetery, you know what they did? They put an Islamic cemetery right in front of the East Gate. So they put a cemetery in front of it and they seal. Now, if you don't, let me, let me, this is just me thinking about this logically. If you don't think that there's a possibility that Jesus is the Messiah and that he's coming back, why would you go to great lengths to try to do whatever you can to block the prophecy? if you thought that it was, if you don't know what I'm trying to say, if there wasn't some part of you that was a little perplexed, why would you seal it up? And what Thomas already knows is that Jesus in his glorified body knows how to walk through walls and has interdimensional ability. So let me just tell you the end of this story. And for those of you who are contending, for those of you are fighting, for those of you who have families that don't understand, who go to schools where your peers don't understand, can I just give you the good news? Jesus is coming back and when he descends back into Jerusalem he's gonna actually step right up into the Mount of Olives his feet are gonna walk on that ground again and he's gonna walk right up to the east gate and he's gonna walk through and he's gonna say I am here now every knee will bow every tongue will confess that I am Lord and I am Savior I'm not your prophet I am God Almighty worship me in spirit and in truth now. Somebody jump to your feet if you're ready to take dominion and authority that he has given you. This is why when Jesus walks through that eastern gate, he's going to put a finality to this and he's going to say every knee bow, every tongue confess. That is the end of the story and we live in a moment of time where you have a decision to make there's only two sides sons of disobedience sons of obedience sons of satan lucifer that falling angel you and the nephilim and every single demonic spirit can get thrown in the lake of fire but i know where i'm going there's going to be a new jerusalem he's going to wipe this whole thing away and there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth and we're going to rule and reign in dominion on the new heaven and the new earth And for as crazy as this stuff sounds, you didn't ask to be in your physical body now. How did you get here? (laughs) Because there's something eternal, a perfect plan of God, like a refiner's fire that separated the wheat from the chaff. That separated the saints from the ain'ts that separated the obedient from the disobedient and when we rule and reign on the other side of this you're gonna wake up one day and you're gonna wake up in paradise or you're gonna wake up in hell and you're gonna say the words that that preacher told me was true it offended me but I'd rather offend you all the way to heaven I'd rather offend you all the way to the arms of Jesus I'd rather offend you all the way into the truth and it's about time that we open our mouth and start speaking the truth unapologetically open your mouth and let the sword come out of your mouth let the sword of the Spirit come out from the north the south the east the west let the sword of the Spirit come out of your mouth I feel this so deeply inside of me you are not a nurse you are not a stay-at-home mom you are not a blue-collar worker you do those things to feed yourself and your family Paul was not a tent maker, he was an apostle. Luke was not a physician, he was an apostle. You are more than how you make money. You are an Esther, you are a Deborah, you are a Jeremiah, you are a Micah. If you are a prophet, rise up and prophesy. If you're an evangelist, open your mouth and start to shout and roar the word of the Lord.